God is for us. We can't lose. He's going to see us safely through to His eternal kingdom. No wonder He says, don't be afraid, little flock. The Father has chosen gladly. He was well pleased to choose you, to give you His kingdom. Oh, what a privilege to stand in Christ. Christ, representing me at the right hand of the Father, look back at verse 27. The Holy Spirit is interceding for me here. God the Father is for me. He gave His only begotten Son. God the Son is praying for me at the right hand of the Father. God the Spirit is praying for me when I don't know how to pray as I should, which is all the time. Could anybody be in better shape than us? No. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott concludes the six-part message titled, God is for us. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. The righteous one himself, the very standard of righteousness, declared you righteous, Christian. Nobody can bring a charge against God's elect. Who's going to argue with God anyway? (laughs) And I know, I know a lot of people will today, but one day there'll be no more arguing. Will the fault finder contend with the Almighty? God said to Job after letting him do a little of that, and his friends do a lot of that for 39 chapters, you remember? God finally said, the fault finder going to contend with the Almighty? Let him who reproves God answer it. Are you going to throw something up to God? Oh, no. There'll be no argument. God is the one who justifies. Now, if we were self-justified, we would have plenty of worry. We'd be fearful of charges. And by the way, all other religions are some form of self-justification. And if you're self-justified... Why, you always making excuses, you're always uh, trying to buttress things a little bit, make a better case for things, and that's why you find self-righteous people, maybe calling themselves Christian even, uh, maybe giving lip service to Christian truth to one extent or another, but never having really put their faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. You'll find them building their case. If you ask them how they stand with God, well, I think I've done pretty good here, and I try hard over here, and there's constantly that worry because they don't know that they've been, because they haven't been, justified. That's why I say it's crucial who is the us here. The us are those who love God, who've been called according to his purpose. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God justifies you. And there's really only two religions when you stop and think about it. There's a lot of religions I know. But when when I say other religions, I'll put it to you this way. There's two. There's the religion of divine accomplishment. Jesus Christ said, it is finished. And there's the religion of human achievement. Human achievement. I've done this, I've done that, I'm trying hard over here. And as long as you're in human achievement, you won't have any kind of real settled peace. But when a person rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ, the divine accomplishment, there is complete justification. And no charge will be able to... I don't care how well documented. You say, well, well, wait a minute. Is God just arbitrarily going to throw charges out? I mean, is he going to, 
you know, take well-documented charges and declare them false? No. Well, I thought you just said he was a minute ago. No, there will be no well-documented charges. Now that brings us once again to another great statement of it. Look at verse 34. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. You see, in God's courtroom, there will be no well-documented charges. There will be no evidence because Jesus Christ died for us. He was raised for us, and amazingly, he intercedes for us. The great basis for God's justification of sinners is once again stated in verse 34. And each time Paul comes back to it, it's like, you know, it's just like just a joy to let it seep into your heart. And uh, we want to take a good look at it. Notice... And uh, it closes with that little word, for us, okay? And that applies really to all three things. Christ died for us, he was raised for us, and he intercedes for us. God is for us. I mean, stop and think about it. Christ died for us, Christ was raised for us, and he now, seated at the right hand of God, prays for us. He intercedes for us. Now, who's the one who condemns? Well, God is the judge, and the judge justified us. Christ Jesus, God as Savior, died for us. Who's the one who condemns? There's nobody who can. Christ Jesus is He who died. You see, Christ died for our sins. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross. The only one who could bring a charge against God's elect, God's Son, the Holy and Righteous One, is the one who willingly laid His life down for us. No man takes my life from me, He said. I lay it down on my own authority. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. I'm the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ willingly went to the cross for you. Who condemn you? Christ Jesus is he who died. God will not judge sin twice. Sin has been paid for. Judgment fell at Calvary on Jesus Christ. And so Paul answers his own question with the great triumph that uh, Christ died for that sin. It's been paid for. Nobody can bring any evidence before God that you were ever a sinner. (laughs) Think about it. Other sinners can't, demons can't, Satan can't, the accuser. No one in the created universe can can produce any evidence that you were ever a sinner. God sees you in Christ. Your sin has been put as far as the east is from the west. I'll put all their sins, I'll cast them into the depths of the sea, God said in Micah. He draws so many pictures of it. He put our sin in Christ's body on the cross. And Christ became an accursed thing and died in our place. God doesn't judge sin twice. It's been dealt with. It's been paid for. 
And we are now in Christ. We talked about it. We're so thoroughly identified with Christ that when a person lays his hand on a believer, he's laying his hand on the body of Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, the risen Christ said when he spoke to Saul of Tarsus and called him out of darkness into light. Now, I'll tell you, we are in Christ. We are so identified with Christ that when God sees us, he sees Christ. The only one who ever could bring accusation is Christ, and Christ is the one who died for us. You know, he came as his whole purpose. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he knew what that meant. He didn't just come just kind of seeking, you know. He came to seek and to save. And he knew what that meant. I didn't come to be served, but to serve and give my life a ransom for many. He knew when he came that it meant going to the cross. That wasn't an oversight or, oh boy. No, that's why he came. Christ was born to die. And he came to this earth with that purpose in mind. In thy book it is written of me, you know, remember Hebrews 10 language, to do thy will. You've prepared a body for me. All those sacrifices, thou hast taken no pleasure in all those Old Testament sacrifices, but you've prepared a body for me, and I have come to do thy will. And the will of the Father from all eternity was that his Son give his life for us. And Jesus Christ, in perfect harmony with the Father, came to give his life a ransom for many. You know, you see this all over, or maybe you don't see it. Let me just show you. Look over at Galatians. Just look at Galatians 1 for just a minute. There are so many verses uh, that say this, but sometimes we read right through them. We maybe become a little used to this, but I, I don't want us to. Galatians 1.3, when he's just introducing things. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. The idea is that he did that. It wasn't, he wasn't a victim. Grace and peace from God our Father and from God our, God his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And you just watch for it sometime in the New Testament. And, uh, you know, the, there are so many texts that tell us this, that he willingly and purposefully died for us. Who would bring a charge against God's elect? God is the justifier. And God's Son is the Savior. Christ died for us. And that's not all. How do I know that that dealt with my sin? Read the rest of the verse. Verse 34 says, Christ died for us. Yes, rather, who was raised. The great proof that God was satisfied was that he raised his son from the dead. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. We saw that back in chapter 6. Now, Paul just kind of brings it in here as he brings these final conclusions to this great security of our salvation. He says, Christ was not only, not only died, but he was raised 
from the dead. And that's not all. Look, he's at the right hand of, the, of God, and he also intercedes for us. Christ having arose, having ascended, he's seated at the right hand of God, and he's praying for us. He's praying for us. Now, I don't know how you can state it any stronger than Paul has here. Uh, but enjoy this. Christ died for you. He was raised for you. And now he is praying for you. Right now, he's praying for us. You see, the whole argument of the book of Hebrews is, is this, really. Four times in the book of Hebrews, you have Christ taking his seat. He is done. He's done. When he had made purification of sins, the book starts in the third verse. When he'd made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty on high. Then he argues for eight chapters showing what it means to have a priest like that, a high priest who's praying for us, who's taking care of us, who is so superior to any other kind of priest, and hence don't ever, don't ever start to get occupied with some priest system or some, even under the name of Christianity, that can somehow absolve your sins or take care of you. Oh, no. There's only one priest for you. It's the high priest. He has sat down at the right hand of God. He's made purification of sins. And for seven chapters, he argues that. And then he gets to chapter 8, and he says it a second time. He says, now the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners. You remember the description he gives there? Of our, of our high priest. And then over in chapter 10, he raises the question, well, what about all those old sacrifices, though? And he says, listen, those priests, they used to sacrifice for sin time after time after time. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Chapter 10, verse 12. And then you get to chapter 12, and he says, Listen, we've got this great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. And he, you know, he's just described the chapter 11 and all the Old Testament saints. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God. We have a seated high priest today, Christian. There is one at the right hand of God who is done. It is finished. He's not still paying for sin. He paid for sins once for all. He sat down. He's our forerunner. He's the anchor of my soul. He's the security that I'll be there one day because he's already there and I'm in him. And in the meantime, he's praying for me. I mean, I wouldn't say it if it didn't say it, would you? I mean, it, it ought to shock us that much. Who's interceding for us. God has left nothing to chance. This courtroom of God's, God is the judge. His son is my defense attorney. My little children, I'm writing these things to you. Remember how he says in 1 John? He says, listen, don't try to kid yourself. If you say you haven't sinned, you're lying. You're deceiving yourself. But if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. He says, now, nah, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. None of this should ever lead, and it's so obvious that I almost wouldn't say it except the Scripture says it, and I find that our perversity, our very human nature, we need to hear this, 
None of this should ever lead to kind of a casual attitude towards him. Well, if God is for us, nobody can bring a charge against us. Who can? Oh, no. That's the attitude of the unregenerate. No, the regenerate are always, when these truths are really unfolded, we're always stirred to want to live holy lives. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This will lead to a desire to live a holy life. But he goes on, I'm quoting verse 1 of 1 John 2. My little children, I'm writing these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. God has left nothing to chance. He's the judge. He's the jury. He's the whole court. He has called us out of darkness. Who would bring a charge against God's elect? Christ Jesus is the one who died for us, who was raised, who's seated at the right hand of God praying for us. He hasn't left anything to chance. And you step back and look at Romans 8, and you say, He has covered all the bases. The deck is stacked. God is for us. We can't lose. He's going to see us safely through to his eternal kingdom. No wonder, he says, don't be afraid, little flock. The Father has chosen gladly. He was well pleased to choose you, to give you his kingdom. Oh, what a privilege to stand in Christ. Christ, representing me at the right hand of the Father, look back at verse 27. The Holy Spirit is interceding for me here. God the Father is for me. He gave His only begotten Son. God the Son is praying for me at the right hand of the Father. God the Spirit is praying for me when I don't know how to pray as I should, which is all the time. Could anybody be in better shape than us? No. No. It's tremendous for him to uh, raise these great statements. Now, before I leave that, uh, that little phrase there, it is so important to see. He intercedes for us. Look over at a couple statements of it in Hebrews. Turn over to Hebrews 7 for just a second. Hebrews 7. This is right, uh, right in the midst of a whole paragraph of his pointing this out to us, but I want us to just read verse 25. Hence also, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you know that? Christ lives today to make intercession for you, Christian. He's praying for you. If you have drawn near to God through him, then he's able to save you forever. No one can separate you from his love. He always lives to make intercession. You see, look over chapter 9. He didn't enter into a, into a holy place made with hands. Look at verse 24. Christ didn't enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one. It wasn't just like those Old Testament shadows and types, kind of uh, little pictures of things. No, he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. That's what he's doing. He's really in heaven right now, and he's really seated, and he really is appearing in the presence of God for us. God really is for us.
As sovereign, he chose us. As judge, he justified us. As our father, he loved us. As Christ's father, he didn't spare him, but laid him down for us. As Savior, as Savior, God, the Son, Jesus Christ, the righteous, died, was buried, and rose again, and is praying for us. And as Almighty, He so controls things that He causes all things to work together for good. No wonder Christ is described in Isaiah 63 as mighty to save. One day, all the universe will see it. God's glory will be best displayed in the salvation of sinners. He is mighty to save. He is for us. Everything is being orchestrated for our good and His glory. And He says, Christian, enjoy it. Bask in it. Don't worry no one. Nothing can separate you from Him. Nobody can bring a charge against you. Non-Christian. I told you to begin with, uh, this is all for us. This is for His own. If you're here without Christ, I'm very glad you're here. And I would say to you, the door is wide open. Why wouldn't you come? Why wouldn't you want a God who loved you enough to give His Son? Why would you fear that He would somehow change your life in a way you'd be afraid of? Oh, no, you don't have to fear this God in that way. If you spurn Him, if you spurn His Son, well, you'll face Him in your sin. And then there's plenty of reason to fear Him, the Scripture says. But when you come to Jesus Christ, the one who would whisper, don't, there's, you'll mess your life up, that's the adversary, that's Satan speaking. Why would you fear this one who laid his life down for you? Why would you fear this one who so orchestrated things that we can say, God is for us, who can be against us? He sent his son to die for you. Come to Jesus Christ today who says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come, the scripture says repeatedly. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Oh, don't put it off. I mean, you've been listening in today on the joy that Christians have, the security that his own have. Don't take any comfort in it unless you're his. But he's got his arms open to you. There's nothing between you and him. He has sent his son to remove the sin issue. You come to Jesus Christ today and be saved. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, God is for Us, a message from our series in the book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. 
It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Suffering in this life and tribulation that God allows in our lives is not without purpose. It is the pains of childbirth. And Jesus said, when a woman is in travail, she has sorrow. But when the birth occurs, she forgets her affliction. She forgets her tribulation for joy. Don't ever think that trouble, distress, pressure, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, don't ever think that these things separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate or even begin to compromise or cast a shadow on God's love for you. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, Inseparable Love. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 